Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today on the Journey Women Podcast, I had the privilege of interviewing my friend, Anne Swindell. Anne is an author and speaker whose first book, Still Waiting, Hope for When God Doesn't Give You What You Want, just released with Tyndale House Publishers. Her work has appeared in tons of publications like The Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today Women, Relevant, Deeply Rooted, Desiring God, Darling Magazine, Encourage, and lots of others. She's passionate about helping other writers tell their stories powerfully, and I can totally testify to that. I actually sat under Anne's teaching via her online writing course, Writing with Grace, which we'll talk about in the interview. And I'm so excited just to have her with us today on the Journey Women podcast to share her story of waiting and to help us better understand how we can share our stories in light of the gospel. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh my goodness. I'm so great. I can't believe I get to talk to you one-on-one. Oh my gosh, girl, the honor is all mine. I've been looking forward to this. I know. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Anne's work, Anne is an author and a speaker who just released her very first book, Still Waiting, which is excellent, by the way. And I was actually introduced to Anne via her online writing course, Writing with Grace. And taking her course, I learned so much about writing in general, but more specifically, I learned how to share my story in light of the hope that we have in the gospel. So And I am so excited that you're with us today to share a little bit about your own story, which is the point of your book, Still Waiting, and how we likewise can relate our own stories to others in light of the gospel. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hunter, it is totally my honor. I'm so excited to be here. For those who aren't familiar with you, can you just flesh out a little bit more about who you are and what you do specifically? Sure thing. So yes, I am... First and foremost, a lover of Jesus, which I'm so grateful to be his. Yes. Um, I am also a wife of, we just hit 11 years. Oh my goodness. You know, we got married as infants, so um, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) How old were you guys? We were young. Like you don't want to say. Oh, no, no, it's fine. (laughs) I'm not ashamed that I was a little bit of a cougar, but um, I'm two years older than Michael. He was was 20 when we got married, and I was 22. Oh, babies. I know. He was still in school, and I just went straight into grad school, so it was so fun. We just grew up together. It's been a blast. He is an absolute joy in my life. You know, reading the book, I don't know that I had the framework for exactly how old you were because I've read your <laughs> love story, but I didn't I didn't guess that he was 20 years old when that all was happening. Yeah, I know. We got engaged when he was 19. Oh, my. I know. I look back at our wedding photos and I'm like, who let us get married? Like we were <laughs> barely able to drive vehicles, you know, but <laughs> couldn't rent a car. But hey, <laughs> no, seriously, it was it's been so great, though. He's he's just a hoot. And we've had a lot of fun learning how to walk with the Lord and walk with each other. So we but you know, hitting 11 years, something about like, being over a decade this year, yeah. we kind of looked at each other and we were like, are we old enough to have been married this long? But I guess so. So You got some time under your belt. You have a seasoned love, which is something <laughs> that Brooks and I always look forward to. Well, and I hope it just continues to get seasoned longer and longer. I, I hope we can make it to like 70 years. Oh, so. Wouldn't that be the best? It's so fun. I know. So yeah, so that and then I'm a mom uh, to my daughter who's four years old. And then we have a little boy on the way. <gasps> oh, it's a boy. Yes. We this just is found so out. great. <laughs> I, is that on Instagram? I haven't seen that. 
I did post it a little while ago. I have to tell oh. you, though, Hunter, I did not grow up with a brother. My sister is my best friend. My sweet dad has been surrounded by women, like, for his whole adult life. Oh. And so I'm just like, I don't know what, to, I'm so excited to have a boy, but I just have no idea what to do. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know, girl. I only have girls over here. It is total girl world. So you're going to have to let me know if we ever have a boy. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably only be about half of a millistep ahead of you. So, but we're super excited. He's oh. Definitely an answered prayer, and we're just really thankful. Now, how many weeks are you right now? I'm about um, 22 and a half, so we're due in November. Okay. Uh, so we'll kind Over of have a holiday, hump. baby. Yeah, we're getting That's there. really exciting. And you just launched your book, Baby, into the world, and then I guess you were simultaneously newly pregnant when that happened? Yes, actually, and I um, I tend to get really, really sick with my pregnancies. And so it was a really interesting experience because literally the week that my book launched into the world was about week six for me in pregnancy, which is usually when I'm like down for the count and the really bad sickness starts. So it was a really interesting experience. You know, you do all this work to write and launch a book. And then I was literally flat on my back for about 10 to 12 weeks. And so I had to turn down some interviews and a speaking opportunity. And it really, by God's grace, it didn't push too many of my buttons because I kind of had gotten to this place where I was like, Lord, it's all you. Yeah, it's yours. And like, you can't, no matter what you do, you can't hover behind someone as they're clicking on Amazon and like force them to press the like buy now button. Right, right. So it was really kind of this forced (laughs) experience for me to just say, okay, God, I've written this book for you and with you, and now I'm just asking you to get it out in the world because I physically can't. Yeah. It's not fun, like having hyperemesis and being super sick, but I think in God's grace, he used it to just offer me a new way to trust him Oh yeah, in the midst of that. So. Wow. Well, your book has done beautifully in spite of the hyperemesis. And I'm really glad you said hyperemesis because I've been reading it and I've been reading it completely wrong. I won't even say what I thought the pronunciation was in my mind because you're my first friend who's ever had that. Well, let's hope I'm your last. I would not wish it any woman. It It is is intense. It's like hospital worthy. Yeah, and I thankfully I only had to go in uh, once this time, but and some women have it all forty weeks. So the fact that I'm pretty much out of the woods by like week twenty or twenty one has felt like a huge grace. Can you like eat whatever you want right now? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I still have to be on some medication, but I'm trying to wean off of those. But I'm just grateful that both the baby and I are healthy at this point. Praise the Lord. I am too. And I can't wait to see this precious little one. That is so exciting. We're so thankful. Yeah, he's definitely an answer to prayer. And our daughter is talking about her baby brother all the time. So it's really sweet. Well, I always wondered when I was one of your students from Riding with Grace, if you guys are planning on having more, but had never asked you. So when you told me you were pregnant, I was so ecstatic. Yeah, well, and it was just a very different journey this time because we um, we had multiple losses, miscarriages between mm. our daughter and between this pregnancy and um, hadn't had any fertility issues with our mm-hmm. daughter. And so this was just a very unexpected, different journey. You know, mm. we had to being pregnant with him. Um, so I have, I tell you what, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this tonight, but in those seasons of like not understanding what God is or isn't doing, and um, I've walked it in different ways with different things, but I think especially as a woman with the fertility journey, it just pushes a lot of those really tender places, and God has not promised us children. Like, He hasn't promised us riches. He hasn't promised us fame. He hasn't promised us stability. He just, He promises us Himself, Mm. and so... I knew that I didn't like have any guarantee that we'd ever be able to have another child. I'm so grateful, but there's a lot that God was doing in me in that season, even just of, I think, cultivating compassion for other women who are in, in seasons because, you know, I, I never even thought about posting about pregnancy online Mm -hmm. until I had multiple miscarriages. And you realize when you're on the other end of that, it's hard. It's hard to see your friends. You're thrilled for them, right? but it's, it's hard too. So It's been an interesting year, a lot of highs, a lot of lows already, you know, in the last 12 months. Absolutely. Because did you launch Writing with Grace about a year ago or was that longer? It's been a year and a half, which is kind of crazy. So yeah, that's the other main thing that I do is that I'm the 
the lady boss at Writing <laughs> with Grace, um, which is a site where I teach online Christian writing courses. I used to be a college instructor uh, for five years and absolutely loved that and have kind of translated a lot of what I taught in like upper level college Christian Christian college classrooms into teaching online. And it has just been an absolute joy to get to have students from all over the country and the world who are like-hearted in their desire to love Jesus through their work as writers, but in a way that is not cliched or right. um, trite, but that is really focused on making much of Jesus, whatever type of writing they're doing. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the Word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. Oh my goodness. And you were just blowing my mind when I took that course. And I felt like it was, I don't even know what to call it. It was like a personal oasis every night when I sat down on the couch. It was like a combination of therapy and I don't know, something else because you would have us write and it would just be impromptu. And then you would help shepherd us to pull out the aspects of our story that we could utilize to share the hope that we have in Christ. And, and as I read your story, it was your book. As I read your actual book, Still Waiting, yeah. I felt like I was being discipled in that course all over again. Not only was I reading uh -huh. your book and experiencing the truths that were punching me in the face every five seconds as I was <laughs> reading, but then I'm like going back and for dual purposes, taking notes on, wow, this is how she like pulled out these elements of her story. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a well-crafted book. And it's such a powerful story that God's given you. And that's part of what I'd like to talk to you about on the show today. So yeah. if you would, could you just share with us a little bit about your book and about your own personal story yeah. and specifically your journey through suffering with trike? Is that how you say it? A trick, actually. I know trick. it's spelled like, yeah, it's, and I'll have to explain that to listeners because they probably have no idea what I'm talking about. I had heard of it before, but I never knew the scientific name for it. Yeah. So the actual word is trichotillomania, um, which I'll kind of explain what that is and then backtrack just to give some more kind of rounding out to my story. But trichotillomania yeah. is a hair pulling condition and uh, people can pull hair from any part of their body, arms, legs, uh, hair on their head. For me, what happened was I was kind of pretty much typical textbook age uh, when I developed trichotillomania. I, I was about 11, 12, which most common age is like 11 to 13. And um, it, it's for me, I always have pulled out my eyelashes and my eyebrows mm -hmm. uh, habitually. And it's one of these conditions where the medical community, like they know what it is, but there's not really a lot of clarity around why mm -hmm. some people have it or how it develops. And there's no cure in the um, typical sense. There's no medication you can take that fixes it. There's no therapy you can do that is going to guarantee success. Like some people have, you know, levels of success with like behavior modification therapy, but it doesn't work for everyone. Mm -hmm. Some people take um, like antidepressants and it helps some people, but not others. So it's a very confusing condition and it's yeah. also very odd to tell people like, I pull out my own hair and I hate that I do this, but I, I can't stop. I'm unable to stop. Um, it makes me think of the verse that Paul writes, you know, why do I keep doing the thing? He's talking about sin in the epistles, but he says, 
I, I cannot stop doing the thing that I hate to do, you know, but praise God, <laughs> we have a savior in Christ Jesus. And I mm. felt that a lot with this condition is like, I don't, I don't think it's a sin to have any sort of medical condition, but there is a reality where it feels very much like I am doing this to myself, you know, and people are like, well, just stop man. Mm. like, just put your hands down and cut it out. That's a lot. It's easy to say, but it's like, uh, you can't yeah. just tell someone to stop being depressed. You can't just right. tell someone to stop having a broken leg. Like you can't, you know, there are just certain things that my brain has been kind of triggered and wired like this now for over two decades. Um, and I still pray for healing. I still hope for healing, but it's a daily reality for me that I live with trichotillomania. Yeah book is, it is about trichotillomania. It's about my journey with that, but it really is about mm. waiting yes. and about how do we as people of God live with these broken realities in our lives. You know, for me, I use the experience of trichotillomania as this recurrent place in my life where I've experienced weakness and what has felt like failure. Mm-hmm. And begging God to heal me and yet not being healed 20 plus years later Um, so we all have those places, right? Whether it's a physical ailment or an emotional, um, weakness or, or sickness, or whether it's a mental disease or a physical, um, struggle or relational breakdown, like we all have something in our lives that's not whole. And most of us live on a daily basis with some reality of pain because of those places that aren't healed and whole yet. And we ask God to come through and maybe he just hasn't healed that part of our lives yet. And mm-hmm. so this is it's really a book about what do we do with those places where we're waiting for God to break through and he hasn't yet. How do we live well in the waiting um, and continue to trust him and continue to keep our hearts tender to him, even if he doesn't answer our prayer the way that we want him to? Yeah. Oh, man. And it's so relevant, like you said, to every person. And that is actually why I'm ashamed to say that I no longer have my copy of the book because I keep giving it away. It's, <laughs> it's a great a reason to not have it's it, Hunter. Really, no reason to be ashamed. It's unprofessional of me not to have your book in front of me <laughs> right now. But literally, we were at camp about a week ago and there was a girl who was staying and you can do these things called camper calls at Pine Cove where you have a counselor come and stay with your kids while they're sleeping so you can do fun stuff like go on a date. Oh. Praise God. Yeah. And so she was in my room and I told her, I was like, use whatever you want, read whatever you want. Here's some different things. And she picked up your book. And she, as soon as I got back, she was like, this story, I've been sitting here reading it and it has so impacted me. And I'm like, I know you can take it. But it was my one with my own personal highlights and notes. And so (laughs) anyways, I'll never get it back. And that's a good thing because I'm sure it will circulate around and around. But for those who haven't read it, you absolutely need to go and get it. And I think the way in which you related your story to the story of the bleeding woman and the gospels was so impactful for me. I had never connected with her as much as I did until you kind of helped me draw those connections. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, she is kind of this little known person in the Bible because there's we don't have a lot of details about her. All we know is that she was bleeding for 12 years and then Jesus came to town and she had faith to reach out and she was healed. But as someone who had lived with this kind of chronic medical condition for so long, I'd always been drawn to her story because I'm like, 12 years, 12 years is a really long time to be sick. And for her, because of the Levitical laws around like cleanness and uncleanness, she wouldn't have been able to hug people. She wouldn't have been able to... Like sit at the same table with people for meals for 12 years. Or get married like you were mentioning oh my gosh. in the book. Yeah. And so I just did a ton of research on her life and then recreated her story fictionally, which gave me some ability to kind of emotionally engage with her. The thing that I love about her, and obviously you know this from reading the book, but she had not totally let that flame of hope die. Like when Jesus came to town, every doctor she saw had made her worse. She was more destitute than she had ever been. And yet when the Messiah came to town, she didn't even know Jesus was the Messiah yet. She just knew that he was someone different and she had hope that he could heal her. 
And her faith was still strong enough to reach out one more time. And I want to be like that. You know, yeah. I want to be a woman that no matter how many times a prayer hasn't been answered, that I still keep that tenderness and that hope and that faith in my heart to say, I'm going to reach out again, God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your character. I'm going to trust your word. And I'll keep reaching out in faith, knowing that one day all things will be made new. Yeah. So, yeah, I love her story, too. She's such a hero of mine. Did you arrive at a point at which you were like, okay, I want to maintain hope? Or is that something that you have always maintained throughout this journey with Trick? No, I mean, I definitely up and down. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely up and down. And I think especially in my younger years, you know, as a woman, goodness, that was like... So frustrating. Junior high, high school, college years where you're oh, still yeah. trying to figure out... I mean... It's not like I've arrived. None of us ever really arrived. But I think really those identity formative years totally. where you're trying to figure out, like, who am I? What oh, am I those are the dark do? ages. Or at least they were for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I even, like, I'm, I've always been a total academic nerd. So I, like, love school. Well, I was in athletics and had friends. But there was, especially with the beauty part and the physical yeah. beauty thing, for me, that was so challenging mm -hmm. because I, I felt like I was just you know, you see all these magazine ads and it's like lashes for days, Ugh. like have the biggest eyelashes in the world. And I always just felt like a fraud. Cause I was like, Oh, I want that, but I can't, I like ruining myself anyway. So there are lots of elements in there where I did feel a lot of hopelessness, I think. And just feeling like, I'm afraid this is never going to change. You know, you mm -hmm. hope for a couple of years, like maybe this will just go away. Maybe I'll grow out of it. And then by the time I'm 15, it's like, well, I've already had this for four years. Maybe by the time I graduate from high school and then, no, I go to college. Well, now I'm 20 and I've had this for almost a decade. Like, I don't know if this is ever going to go away. Medical science tells me it's probably never going to go away. And I think I had to do, I know I had to do a lot of wrestling with the Lord to be able to say, okay, God, I hate that I have this. I'm frustrated that you haven't healed me yet. And I don't understand. And I had, I write in the book, I share a lot about just the frustration and the anger mm -hmm. and um, some of the offense that I really walked through against God and had to repent of. Um, but that ultimately in his kindness and because of his word and because of mentors and uh, people who discipled me in my life, I have been able to ultimately come to a place where I can say, Jesus, you are better than any healing, than anything I want. And I don't understand you, but I can trust you because of your character and your kindness and your love towards me. Oh. And that is what is, had, has buoyed my hope over the years, you know, cause my, my hope is no longer in, am I going to get healed? Yeah. My hope is in the person of Jesus and he's not going to fail me. Like any other hope's going to fall flat, but Jesus himself will always prove to be good and true and love and light. Um, and so my hope in him is, is unwavering. Goodness. Well, there it is, people. The gospel <laughs> tethered to her story. I want to follow up on that in a little bit because I want you to help us be able to share our stories. I know a lot of us have different things that we've been struggling with throughout our lives, but to be able to communicate our stories with the hope of the gospel is so key for evangelism and just for the furthering of the gospel. And so I'm excited to pick your brain a little bit more on that, but I'd love to hear <laughs> if there's anything else you'd add to that, that the condition that you have has taught you about the gospel. I was thinking about this question because it's, it's a weighty question. And I think what it really is, for all of us, I think if we have to come back to that. Like, what is my life? Um, even the really broken, difficult parts, like how is the gospel here? How is Jesus in this? Because there's never any place where he abandons us. It's not like he says, like, I love all of you except for this one little part, you know? Yeah. He loves us and he is Ugh. always in the process of making us new and of restoring us and of healing what's been broken. Um, and I, years and years ago, I heard a pastor or somebody say, it's just stuck with me forever. You know, God is a good father. He only points out our brokenness and reveals it to us because he wants to heal it. Mm. I think of bullies like in elementary school and they'll be like, oh, you, you know, you have a black eye, like, ha ha, and just laugh at you or whatever. Not yeah. that I ever had a black eye, but. Whatever it is. Yeah. Anything. 
a good doctor, I think my dad's a skin doctor, so people come in all the time and he has to diagnose, like, does this look like skin cancer or is this just a regular looking part of your skin? And if he thinks it's skin cancer, he's going to point it out, not to scare the person, not to shame them, but to say, we need to check this out so that we can get you healed. Um, And and I think that's that is one of those things in my life where like God has brought this up time and time again, not to say like, Anne, look at how weak you are. Um, he's never brought it up to say you're a failure. It, it's always trick has always been something t- for me where God is saying, I'm bringing this up in your life again because I want to see you healed. Mm-hmm. And for me, it hasn't been a physical healing yet, but I can tell you, Hunter, the amount of like emotional and spiritual healing that God has brought about through my persistent weakness. The one thing that I don't want to have, um, he keeps bringing it back up because there's new layers of me to trust for me to trust him. There's new opportunities for me to see him as my strength and my weakness. Um, and, and there's new opportunities for me to share that in my weakness, he's strong with those around me. You know, this book being one of yes, them. Like, that's what I'm thinking. I, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that. How was that? I laugh because this was like the fourth book idea over the course of the last 10 years that I had proposed and like sent in book proposals. Yeah. This is the only one that ever even really got like considered and then picked up by a major publishing And you're like, house. this is the literal yeah. deepest part of myself right here. Totally. I was reading and I'm like, oh, this is like, Anne, this is raw. And just feeling with you because I'm like, this has to be such an emotional process to just put this out into the world. Well, I remember my editorial team when we were like, kind of at the beginning stages of the book, because I had about half of it written. Um, when they accepted my book and I knew it was going to need overhauling, but I remember my team coming to me and basically saying, Anne, we need you to give us more. Like we oh. need to trust the reader <laughs> and to go deeper oh, and like and you did. get more vulnerable. You and did. I was like, Oh Lord, this is, this is what it's about. Isn't it? Like, yes. and, and here's the kindness of Jesus, right? Like I, and I would say this again a hundred times. I'm so thankful that I got to write this book. I'm so grateful that I have had the opportunity to share this book and my story with other people. But even if nobody ever read it, Hunter, what God did in my heart as I like was forced to go back to these really yeah. painful, tender parts of my story and like write them down and remember them. Jesus met me there. Oh. I mean, he He met me in those places and showed me again that... I wasn't ever alone, that the the Bible is has shaped my life so much that I can look back on places of weakness and say like, yeah, that's who I was, but that's not who I am. Yeah. So there's no shame to share like, oh, that, you know, there's this part of the, my story where I just flat out lied to someone because I was so ashamed. I just boldface lied. Which and like totally all done, I think. I mean, at least I, I have. Shame, <laughs> our shame drives us to lying. Hello, Adam and Eve in the garden. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, man, right? It all started yeah. there. But I just, I can go back and I can share those stories now because I'm like, that's who I was. That's not who mm-hmm. I am. Jesus is for me. But yeah, it was sometimes... I just, you know, you walk away from the computer from writing and it's like, well, all the emotional energy I had for the rest of the week is now completely gone because I have emptied it. What does dinner time look like in your house? Is it a little chaotic and crazy like it is at mine? Let me tell you about Prep Dish and how they can help you simplify your evenings. You've probably heard us talk about Prep Dish in the past and maybe you've thought, man, I just don't have time to meal prep. But let me tell you, with Prep Dish, meal prepping for the whole week honestly takes just about one hour with their super fast plan and about two hours for the gluten-free, paleo, and low-carb meal plans. If you need a change in how you handle dinner time at your house, you have got to try Prep Dish. You'll serve up delicious meals that your family will love like green chili burgers, Caesar salmon wraps, and apricot glazed chicken thighs. Right now, the founder, Allison, is offering our listeners a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out PrepDish.com forward slash journey for this great deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com forward slash journey for your first two weeks free. 
Okay, well, I'm going to stop you right there and just read a little quote because I did happen to track this one down online, even though my book is no longer with me. Um, But in chapter seven, you say, although Jesus deeply affirms our suffering and although he catches every tear and profoundly understands every trial we have walked through, the suffering isn't meant to be the focus of our lives. Jesus must be the focus. And that's a mic drop. That's what I loved about (laughs) your story. And I'm so thankful for the ways in which you have shared your story to point us to Jesus. So I'd love to hear from you just a little bit more about what was hard to embrace about the truth of the gospel and the truths of scripture during the intensity of your suffering. I think, um, and there's a chapter in the book where I talk about like, we can't, there, it's not like there's layers of suffering. Like, yeah. well, suffering on a scale of one to 10 is like a nine and yours is a two. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I, my suffering is the same as someone who is going through chemo with cancer. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But Jesus does enter into suffering with all of us. Right. No matter what the scale. No matter what it is, Mm -hmm. you know, because he understands what the cost has been to us in a way that nobody else is ever going to understand. For some people, like the loss of a childhood pet is like deeply traumatic and Mm -hmm. has shaped them for years. Jesus can enter into that and wants to. For some people, it's just on a total, you know, the divorce of their parents. And that we would say like, well, in human mindsets, loss of a pet versus like divorce of parents, like we would rank that. I don't think Jesus does that. Jesus enters to our suffering and our pain. And I'm so grateful for that. But I do think, um, kind of going off of that, quotation that you shared, I think that has been one of the harder lessons for me to learn, Hunter, is that Jesus enters into our suffering and he has so journeyed with me through this journey of having trichotillomania and still having it. And lots of, I'm even thinking this last year, like with these miscarriages, Jesus has entered into these things with me, but I have found the hard way that when I focus on the suffering, when I focus Mm -hmm. on the loss I spiral to a very bad place (laughs) Um, because all it feels like then is darkness and loss and trial and um, feeling alone, you know, feeling isolated, feeling like God is far away. And now don't get me wrong. There are seasons where I think um, even biblically we see models for like sometimes you see David in the Psalms like, God, where are you? What is what has happened. Um, but we know as believers and as those who've been sealed with the the deposit of the Holy Spirit, we're never alone. We always have Christ with us. And so for me, one of the hardest lessons that I feel like I continue to learn in my life with Christ is that suffering itself does not get the privilege of being at the center of my attention. Mm. Um, because in my flesh, that's what I want to do is when I'm in pain, I just want to focus on the pain Yeah, and I want to kind of fall into it and like let myself feel all the feelings of just like, this is the worst. My life feels like it's over. Um, and don't get me wrong. There are seasons for legitimate grieving, right? <laughs> but I think we live in a culture that's so feelings based that it's very easy at times to just go, woe is me. Like, this is my lot. God hasn't answered my prayer, and now life is just awful. Um, and the truth is that a lot of the gospel is the simultaneous reality of life is hard and God is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a hard lesson. I was actually just talking with a friend today who has gone through incredible amounts of suffering, literally almost just died this last year. Wow. And she and I were talking and it's like, man, that reality of having to live in the tension of the goodness and the sovereignty and the love of God while your life feels like it's falling apart feels impossible. Sometimes (laughs) it really does. And the only way I know how to walk that out is to stay rooted in the word of God and then to have a community of people around me who are going to speak the truth to me, even if I don't want to hear it. Oh, yes. Um, Because a lot of times, you know, I, even in this last season with our, our miscarriages, Mm -hmm. um, Michael, my husband, you know, we'd be in bed at night and I would just be Mm. weeping. And it's like, we're going to read some of the Psalms out loud. We're going to choose right now 
to declare who God is and to praise him. And when I couldn't read because I was crying so much, he would read Mm. and he would declare the truth of God in our house. Even though my heart didn't feel like that's what it wanted, that is what my soul craved. Yes. To know God and to, to cling to his character. And I think, um, that for me has been the hardest part of suffering, but also like the pearl of great price in the midst of all of it is that God is with us in suffering. His character has not changed. His goodness and his love toward us has not changed. Our circumstances have changed. And when the rubber meets the road, then we have got to put ourselves in the middle of community and we've got to get around other people who are going to declare the truth of who God is to us yeah. when we don't feel it, when we can't feel like we can't hear it. Right. Um, and then we've got to do that for other people, Hunter, because the reality is there is going to come a day when we've got to help our brothers and sisters hear that truth. We've got to get around them and pray for them and lift them up and care for them because there's also going to be a day when we're the ones in the middle of that circle weeping on our knees and we need somebody right. else in the body of Christ to speak the truth to us. That's what the body is there for. Um, And suffering, the gift of suffering to me has really been to see my need for the body of Christ, my consistent need for the word of God. And the fact that I, I'm not meant to do this alone and I can't do it alone. And when we let other people in, there's really a beauty in that to let other people see our weaknesses and vice versa. Uh, But it's Um, so tender too. I mean, even reading your story, I was like, okay, this is so tender and I'm almost nervous because (laughs) I just want people to handle other people's stories so tenderly because you know, it's vulnerable for anybody to like speak out what they're really, really suffering through. Totally. So I don't know. How did others come alongside you practically and do that in a way that you could receive when you were Mm. in that moment and you're really feeling quite vulnerable? Yeah, that is a great question. And I think some of the best things that people did who love me well, my husband, my family, my closest friends, they just asked me. They asked me, "What? how can I love you in this? Um, And I think a lot of times we make assumptions about how other people want or need to be loved in their vulnerability because we know how we want to be loved. Oh yeah, totally. Um, But you know, I think in our marriage, like my husband and I, like when we worship, when we're really going for it and worshiping Jesus, he's the type that is like, you know, pumping his fists in the air and jumping (laughs) up and down and yelling. And I'm the one that's like on my knees sobbing in the corner. Like when we we encounter the spirit of the Lord, you know, we're like total opposites in that way. And so if he responded to me and my suffering the way that he would want to be responded to, he would be like giving me a pep talk and like telling me like, let's go take the hill for Jesus, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, I just want someone to hold me and like, yes, me and like sit with me on the couch. Totally. So (laughs) I mean, it's never as simple as that, but I think the people who have really come alongside of me have asked first, like, how can I love you? How can I partner with you in this season? And a lot of times I have found it's just being available. It's just not running away from somebody else's pain because we don't know how to deal with it. It's saying, I want to enter into this with you. I don't know how will you show me. Yeah. And sometimes your friends are even going to say, I don't even know how to live this out. And you can say, okay, how about I just come over and sit with you? And we'll drink some tea or eat some pizza and I'll just be here with you in it. Yeah. Um, you know, Job's friends were fine until they started talking. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And sometimes I think we just need the gift of presence from one another. And then, as I was saying, sometimes we do need the friend or the spouse or the leader or the mentor who's going to say, I'm going to read the word now because your heart needs to be pointed back to truth even when you don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. So we have to have that that push and pull and we have to allow other people at times to push us. But I think as friends, we can really come alongside of, of those who are struggling and in seasons of suffering by just simply saying like, how can I love you? And if you don't know, then we'll just try to figure it out together. Absolutely. I feel like this is particularly key in a struggle that is ongoing. Don't you? Totally. 
Yes. Because it's kind of easier to do it in a condensed period of time. But then as it continues and you're like, okay, we're kind of in this for the long haul. Right. And we want to see progress. But sometimes (laughs) progress doesn't look as linear as we want it to. I don't think it does a lot of the times. I mean, goodness, I even think of how God, like how we see the progress of God's people or of people in the Bible. Oh my gosh. There's no linear path with God. No, let's just think the Israelites (laughs) in the desert. (laughs) Yeah, or, you know, even like, goodness, I even think of just like Peter. I mean, it's not like he went from glory to glory. It was like failure to victory to failure to victory to, you know. um, Yeah. I think this is the Christian life. And yeah, when you've got, you know, I think of a friend who has like a chronic illness. I can't expect that she's just going to wake up one morning and like feel fine and have all the energy in the world to like hang out and do stuff. And so I have to choose to love her in that place and to say like, believe me, she doesn't want to have this chronic illness at all. Like she wishes she could be done with it, but how can we love each other and live with each other in this place of tension in the now and the not yet of like we have Christ, but we're still broken um, I think a lot of times physical illness just points out the reality of our spiritual brokenness, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we have to ask each other and ask the Lord, how do we, how do we love each other in the midst of long seasons of pain or struggle or questioning? And it's hard and we're going to need a lot of help. Absolutely. You know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how the journey with physical brokenness, when you began to see that this is something that God is working out in your life that you can use as a means by which to share his story of hope. You know, Hunter, I would like to say that I like had this moment where I was like, yes, Mm -hmm. I'm going to allow him to use my story for his glory. But honestly, until I wrote this book in fullness, there were probably about 10 people in my whole life who really knew that I had this condition of trichotillomania and knew that I struggled with it. This has been a huge year. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It really has been. And, you know, it was interesting because when you live with some part of brokenness, all of us have this, right? Like you said, whether it's physical or emotional, you live with brokenness for long enough. And it's almost, for me at least, it wasn't necessarily that I was trying to hide it from like new friends or people in my life. It just had not been a door that I'd ever opened for so Mm -hmm. long that I didn't even think of opening it. Like, I didn't even think like, oh, let's start the conversation about this really weak and broken place in my life. I just Mm -hmm. hadn't shared about it for a decade. So I didn't really think about doing that. And I actually had a girlfriend after the book came out um, who... She had been a, she still is a good girlfriend of mine. And she Mm -hmm. and I really had to wrestle through. She was like, Anne, why didn't I know about this in your life? Why, why didn't you share this with me? It was hurtful for her. Mm -hmm. And I had to go back and say, oh my gosh, like it was honestly just a blind spot for me. You know, it wasn't that I was trying to hide something from you or hold something back. I just had gotten so good at hiding this part of my life (laughs) that I never even thought to share it. And I think that's one of the ways that Satan really likes to keep us alone is like when we hide something for so long, it starts to feel impossible or ridiculous to actually start talking about it again. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like it's too far gone. Totally. And like, how could I ever, and, and how, how or why, like the potential fallout of awkwardness and weirdness, like, do I really want to go there? Oh, and the tenderness of it too, where you're like, if I do go there, then what, then what, if what they would respond? the response? Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what I found Hunter, and this has been the kindness of God to me is that as I've been honestly like lovingly forced by the Lord in the mm-hmm. last few years, as I started writing this and then people would be like, you're writing a book. What's it about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I either had to say, um, what am I going to do? Avoid it. And then they read the right. book and then, you know, so then you're going I had, on speaking engagements about it. Right, so it's like, you know, eventually... like <laughs> I got to talk about this thing. And it has been so freeing mm. to open up this place that I had kind of, locked away. Yeah. Again, not even because I was like trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes, but just because 
I hadn't shared about it, so I didn't share about it. And then right. I hadn't shared it, so I didn't share about it. And the more I opened up, I mean, you would not believe the amount of people who, I mean, honestly, uh, more than a handful of women who've been like, I have that too, that same condition of trichotillomania, or just people who are like, I totally know that exact feeling you're talking about. And then they'd share their own story of what they're waiting for. Yeah, it's it's a book that I need to have on my shelf, just a stack of, because exactly what you're saying, where you just can't stop giving it away because everybody goes through these seasons. And if not a short season, it could be, you know, for the rest of life. And right. Uh, on this side of heaven. And so, gosh, I really appreciate it. I'd love to know what your encouragement to those of us who want to share, you know, maybe we're thinking about, okay, what part of my life am I, have I not been open about? Or what part of my life could I share with other people that I might be able to, I don't know, level the playing fields and point them to Jesus? What encouragement do you have for those of us who want to just center our stories around the gospel? You know, I think the probably the biggest encouragement and also challenge that I have is that you're going to have to go first. Yeah. You are going to have to go first. You are going to have to be the one to crack open that door to vulnerability and honesty and to risk sharing your story oh. with another person. Yeah. Because you love Jesus more than you love what they think about you. Yes. Um, And that is really the place where I'm still growing in this hunter, but I'm like, this is, this is the woman I want to be Mm -hmm. by God's grace. I hope this is the woman that I'm becoming that I so want to tell of who he is and, and how he has changed me, not because I look great, but because he is wonderful. And I want that freedom and that hope for my friends. But that means that I have to go first. Right. And I have to be willing to say, here's where my brokenness is. And here is where Jesus has met me in the brokenness. Oh. Most most of the time, I'm not getting to say, here was my brokenness. And here's how Jesus fixed me. Like, I'm still saying, guess what? I'm still in the brokenness, but Jesus has met me here. And he wants to meet you in your brokenness. And he wants to start healing your heart in the middle of that brokenness. Um, And that's how we do it. That's how we share our stories with the gospel is we say that talking about Jesus, talking about who he is, is worth any cost to us. It's worth the cost of our reputation. It's worth the cost of our facades of keeping, you know, saving face. It's worth the cost of us feeling like we have some platform or social media presence or whatever we want to call it. Um, because when Jesus is lifted up, people are going to be drawn to him yeah. and it's, it's going to feel like it's at our expense, but really it's for our good because anytime Jesus is lifted up, we fall more in love with him. And so do other people. And we get the, the glory of that. We get to taste that in our own lives. Oh man. Well, I cannot believe that I've had the gift of even just getting to cross paths with you and taste that having read about your story and it's just made me kind of ruminate on my own story and and it's helped me process how to uncover those areas Mm. of my own heart and my own life that I can just share shamelessly and I'm really, really thankful for your guidance and how to do that. And one of the questions that I ask all of my guests is what three resources that they would recommend to somebody who's in a season of waiting or, you know, who's wanting to center their stories around the gospel, whatever topic we're talking about. And I just have to throw in the shameless plug for writing with grace because oh. <laughs> that was probably, that's going to be girl. my top resource. I don't ever offer a resource But my top resource for somebody who's wanting to share their story with hope is even if you don't consider yourself a writer, like this is, like I said, Oasis therapy time on the couch, (laughs) learning from Anne about how to just articulate your story in light of the gospel. So that's my shameless plug. But I'd love to hear your three resources (laughs) that you would recommend for somebody who wants to share their own story or who's in a season of waiting themselves. Yeah. So one of the first ones that comes to mind is the devotional. It's called Streams in the Desert. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Um, I haven't read it. It's I think her last name is Cowan, C-O-W-A-N. 
honestly, like I read that in a really challenging season and pretty much just wept my way through every devotional. I mean, they're short, but whoa, this is a woman who has like walked through suffering and has come out loving and choosing Jesus on the other Mm. side. So Streams in the Desert is just, especially if you're in a really like tender place and maybe you can't ingest that much, this is going to give you scripture and encouragement and challenge like all in one. So that is one of my favorite resources on the devotional side of things. Great. Um, I would say this is kind of more generic, but like getting into a consistent Bible study. Um, for me during the school year, I do BSF, Bible study, mm. Fellowship, which is like an international Bible study, women's Bible study of interdenominational uh, women from all different walks and seasons of life and denominations just coming together to study the Bible. And it helps me so much to have the accountability of daily reading in the word, yeah, the accountability of weekly meeting with other women. And it's structured so much that like, as much as I love hanging out with my girlfriends, mm-hmm. this is not like, we're not talking about like our kids. We are talking about the Bible. Every yes. Week. And it's so rich and it's so good. So uh, some sort of consistent Bible study doesn't have to be any particular one, but one where you're really in the word. Yes. Uh, because that's, what's going to ground us in seasons of, of waiting and of struggle and of trial. So that would be my second resource. I was trying to think about this and I was having a hard time. Like there are a million amazing books out there, but I really, it's not necessarily for like a season of waiting, but um, C.S. Lewis's book, The Weight of Glory Ooh, yeah, is a collection of essays that honestly has marked my life. I, I read it in college for the first time and I can hardly get through the title essay of the whole, they're like, I don't know if there are eight or 10 essays in the whole thing, but the, the title essay, The Weight of Glory, after which the whole collection is named, I really like have a hard time getting through that without weeping every single time because he is painting our lives in light of what we are headed towards hmm. um, and the beauty of what we're actually moving towards as followers of of Jesus and the glory that it is to get to be walking. This is the one where he says there are no mere mortals among us. Like. Mm-hmm. If we could really see each other, we'd see either a creature so glorious, like that we'd have to shield our eyes, or a creature so horrifically grotesque that we could bear to look, um, because our souls are going one way or the other. And so it just helps me put into perspective, like, we're living in light of eternity. Yeah. that whole collection is just amazing. So I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. <laughs> oh, as am I. I haven't read that one yet. I oh, need to girl. pick that up. You are in for a treat. Okay, I'm excited. <laughs> well, speaking of treats, I'd love to hear what your three simple joys are. I was thinking about this too. Um, the laughter of my husband and my daughter oh. are probably it's probably like the highlight of my entire life. Yes. Just hearing them giggle and laugh together um, and then getting to join in. One of my absolute, probably my favorite joy right now in this season, just so all of them getting to laugh together. It is. And my daughter's at the stage where she like actually gets some of the jokes now and can like crack a joke every now and again. So it's Ooh, just so funny. So it's cute. So fun. Going on a walk oh. in like the nice cool of the day, which right now we're not really having, but when the weather's nice, I live in Illinois. So like weather is not really something we're known for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, when you have a nice night, just going on a walk in the cool of the night. Totally. Right now, we can see the fireflies. Like, that's one of my favorite things. Being outside in nice weather is a very simple but delightful joy for me. Oh, yes. The perfect um, weather when you can wear, like, shorts and a long sleeve shirt. Oh, it's the best. It really is the best. It's my favorite. Yeah, it's so wonderful. Um, and then date nights, date nights with my husband are one of my simple joys. Do you guys protect like a date night a week or how do you guys do that? We try to, we've really had to fight for that in this last season, just especially with me being sick so much. I like leave the house. Um, You're like, I don't really want to eat. (laughs) I know, but we have tried, yeah, we try to do a night a week. Um, and sometimes it just means like after our daughter goes down, we, you know, connect and do something or talk or watch the great british baking show on yes nice oh my gosh i'm it's so fun we love that show i've heard of it before but i haven't (laughs) ever seen it i need to look it up it's so wonderful or my personal favorite when calls the heart okay ever oh my gosh hunter i've never seen it 
we don't actually own a TV. So like okay. we have to, whatever we watch, we have to be able to find online when we do yes. it. When Calls the Heart is probably my all-time favorite series of all time. If you're looking for oh. a clean, great family series. Always. Love my life. Okay. Is this that, on Netflix? That's like my fourth simple joy. <laughs> yeah, that's a bonus. Is it Netflix? Is it Amazon Prime? It's- uh, I think Amazon Prime, it's actually through the Hallmark Channel. So before okay. everyone's rolling their eyes, like this is like yeah, their yeah. best selling, uh, best watched, I don't know, series like of all time ever because it's just amazing. So. Okay. I'm excited. <laughs> I always need a new series to binge on. This is it's, great. It's wonderful. I just love it. Love Aww. my life. Well, Anne, before you go, I ask every single one of my guests, um, I know you're a journey woman for Jesus, and I'd Mm. love to hear from you who it is that's had the most impact on your own journey with Jesus. This is such a hard question, Hunter, because I feel like... You can make it whatever you want. Oh, to choose just one Yes, it's almost cool. I know. And I'm like, oh, there's so many people. I mean, I'm going to like fudge a little bit. My parents have been hugely impactful because they raised me to love the Lord. My husband has honestly probably shaped me more than anyone else just because we're doing life together and, you know, walking as one before Christ. But if I'm going to go with a woman, I'm going to have to say my grandma. Um, And she, what I love about my grandma, she's been with Jesus now for about six or seven years. She's with the Lord. She died at 98. She lived a very long life. She lived through the Great Depression, World War II. Anyway, she contracted a disease as a child where they almost had to amputate her legs as a 12-year-old. She was able to keep her legs, but literally lived with pain every day from 12 to 98. Oh, my goodness. Never heard her complain. Um, She lived this very, like, she was a homemaker, you know, raised two sons, Mm -hmm. loved she was a powerhouse in the Lord and just loved Jesus. And she, from a very young age, I was very close to her and she impacted me by just showing me like what daily faithfulness looks like. And it wasn't flashy. And there were probably like, you know, she's at 98, she probably had 150, 200 people at her funeral. People who still wow. knew her and loved her were actually still alive to come to her funeral. Right, right. <laughs> That's amazing. She loved, loved people well. And um, it makes me think of, and this will all come full circle, but in another C.S. Lewis book, um, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, uh-huh. there's this moment where the main character and like the guy who's leading him kind of walking towards heaven. There's this woman who comes through the field where they are and she is just like glowing. She looks like a goddess. She's got like children and I think animals trailing her. And the main character says, who is this woman? Surely on earth, she was of like great repute. And his, the guy who's leading him, his guide He says, no, this was Sarah Smith. She loved the people in her life well. And Mm. every child she met was like her own. Every man she met was like her brother. And she just loved people well because she loved God. And yet in heaven, her glory, you know, C.S. Lewis is, is painting this picture of like faithfulness on earth might look really simple. But to God, it means everything. Yeah. And my grandma showed me that. It's like her life was not flashy, but I know that she is so glorious in the heaven. And I'm so grateful for the model of a woman who lived before social media and like. Yes. Any of that, you know, but she had her life that was simple in front of her and hard in many ways because of what she'd walked through. Yeah. She loved the Lord and she was faithful to him and she still inspires me. Wow. To want to be like her. (laughs) My friend, you are living out her legacy and I mean that with every word. And I'm so thankful for the ministry that you have, even a ministry from afar. (laughs) And you know what? I am thankful that I have interacted with you on social media. (laughs) (laughs) because otherwise i wouldn't have ever had the opportunity to meet you unless i came across your book on amazon which probably would have happened so well it's probably good that i 
I was cracking up. I was talking to a friend today too. I'm like, if you know me for very long, I'm just going to cry. So it's probably good that we have this little cry together on oh, yeah. your podcast too. Cause that's the real me. I'm like such man, deep feeler, deep crier. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, we receive it and I'm just honored oh, to have you on sharing the tears and, and all the laughter. And I just, I really appreciate you coming on the show and I'm, I'm so happy to get to introduce other women who are journeying with me through the Journey Women podcast to you because you've had such an impact on my journey with Jesus, Anne. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Hunter. So blessed. He's so good. He's so worth it. Grateful for you. As you guys can tell from the interview, the way Anne communicates her story of waiting is so impactful. I really hope you guys will connect with her on social media and purchase her book. Both of these things you can find on the show notes at www.hunterbelis.com. As always, thank y'all so much for the love and support that you extend to the Journey Women podcast every week. I really appreciate your encouragement. If you want to know how you can help the show, let me tell you. Write a review on iTunes. The directions for how to do so are on the podcast tab of my website. Again, HunterBelis.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys here next week.